Welcome to the Bloom Where You're Planted podcast from Never Too Late Cafe. I'm your host, Laura Womack. Each week we sit down for a chat with someone just like you, someone who had an idea, a passion, a dream, or sometimes just a thought and planted that seed, watched it grow into something they wanted to share with the world. If you have an idea for a topic or someone that would be a guest for the Bloom Where You're Planted podcast, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook where you can join our Never Too Late Cafe Facebook group. We'd love to hear from you. And I have a very special guest with me today, Ido Altini. Hi, and welcome. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I did pronounce it correctly. Yes, you did. We're just going to jump into your story because I I am glad that I did say it properly because sometimes one doesn't know. So Mm -hmm. where are you currently living? I am currently based in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. And is that where you're from? Uh, No. Originally, I am from Morocco, and that is in uh, North Africa. I didn't know Morocco was part of Africa. Oh, my gosh. I'm a little... Hey, don't worry. Uh, When I traveled the first time, I went to Asia, and uh, we... Uh, Moroccans call other um, countries that are part of Africa, which is, of course, Morocco is one of them. We call them Africa. Like we say, if we meet someone from Ghana or Nigeria, we say uh, that person is from Africa. Um, And like deep down, I I, I knew that uh, Morocco is part of Africa. But when I was flying from uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, back to Morocco, when the 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 they when at the the plane they were talking about uh, welcome everybody we're gonna fly now to Africa and I was like oh Morocco is in Africa but then I remembered I was like oh yeah it's it is <laughs> so we it's, we yeah isn't it strange that well I guess I haven't explored that very much so so uh, let's get into you have a very impressive. Uh, list of things that you've done. And so let's start with your education, because you have a broad range of things that where you've studied and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I love doing different things. Um, I get bored if I do one thing for a long time, um, because it just becomes like a normal. I love to learn different things. So that's what led to my uh, diversity in education. Uh, I have uh, my, I studied uh, for, I I didn't attend school for the first time until I was 17. So I was very late uh, to attend school. I studied literature and then specialized in uh, languages for my high school because uh, we had a few options and I love learning languages, so I decided to specialize in languages. Uh, For my associated degree, I studied English literature because I really wanted to learn about um, British and American history um, and writers like Shakespeare, and I love writing. Myself, I'm I'm a writer. And for my bachelor degree, I studied um, English, applied linguistics and pedagogy, basically methods of teaching. And then for my MA, 
um, I studied journalism and strategic media um, under uh, Fulbright Scholarship. Um, mentioning the Fulbright Scholarship, um, can you explain for those of us that don't know what that means, what, what that is? Yeah, uh, Fulbright Scholarship is a, a very prestigious um, a scholarship. Uh, it's sponsored by uh, the U.S. government, State Department specifically. And what it is basically is it, they have a lot of programs and um, someone can apply to whether go from the U.S. to another country or vice versa. And you can be a Fulbright grantee like in my case, to continue your education, uh, teaching, there's like, you can go to teach your language in another country or research. Um, there's uh, Humphrey, there's a lot, the YES program for um, uh, the high school. Like there's a lot of programs, exchange programs. Uh, and one of them is Fulbright. It's very prestige, which I didn't know when I applied. Um, I was not... Um, Back in Morocco, I didn't have access to technology. As a result, I couldn't, you know, do research online and learn about Fulbright. I learned about it the traditional way through a referral from a taxi driver. Um, and the people there just like welcomed me with open arms and valued me as a human, normal human being and told me if I... Uh, took exam, did good at my um, TOEFL and GRE, as well as my university, get my degree, I can apply to uh, Fulbright. So I was working towards that while being totally ignorant about what the program is, how prestigious it is. Um, and this program is actually very old. It was uh, founded by J. William Fulbright, um, who was a U.S. Senator, studied in Arkansas at the University of Arkansas, where I studied as a Fulbright Scholar. It was, it was very, very um, good for me to walk where he walked and study where he studied. I had the pleasure of meeting some of his uh, extended family. Um, and basically, he founded it after he went abroad to study. And the mission of the program is to spread peace through education. Um, and he, he founded it to do just that. And when people go from one country to another, uh, not only to do research, but also um, like contribute to cultural um, understanding, peace through education, and just basically uh, trying to do good in the world and trying to make the world a better place. Mm. Yeah. So you had... Um, you, you talked about writing. Are there particular topics that you like to write on? Um, I write about a lot of things, not much about science because I just didn't study science. Uh, but I write profiles, essays, op-eds, um, and um, newsletters. I am also working on a nonfiction novel as well as my memoir. Uh, titled Blindness is the Light of My Life. Um, and I'm with my memoir, um, now doing final touches and I'm hoping to publish it sometime soon. Wow. Yeah. Um, so 
we did chat briefly before um, we started to uh, record our interview today, and you had mentioned languages. I know that you said that you had studied languages. Can you go a little further on how diverse you are on languages? Yeah, so a little bit about me. Of course, I don't think that's the reason I love and enjoy learning languages. Uh, But basically, I grew up in different parts of Morocco, where even though uh, like the dialects spoken are closer, but not much. So um, I moved a lot because both of my parents died. So I moved between family members and I was born uh, and the first language I learned to speak was Tamazight, which is a native language. Moroccan, one of the languages of uh, native Moroccans. And then I learned Darija, which is a, an Arabic uh, dialect of um, that Moroccan that we speak in Morocco, and then French, and then other uh, four, uh, other three um, uh, uh, Amazigh or Berber languages, and other dialects from all the parts of the Arab world, standard Arabic. And the last one I learned is English. Um, and my love to English is, is like really, really uh, strong. I love the English language. And the first time I heard it was uh, when, um, I don't know if they were missionaries because I didn't speak the language, but Americans or, or other foreigners from other country who spoke English visited uh, one of the parts of the country where I was at the time. And I called it American. I didn't understand uh, that it's called English. And I said, I really want to learn this language. And at the time I I wasn't even um, going to school. I didn't know how to learn it or what was required for me to to learn the language. Uh, But when I started school, as I said earlier, uh, for the first time at the age of 17, uh, to me, that was like, someone who was deprived of everything for a long time and then you give it to them and they just take all of it in and that's how I took all my education I learned uh, braille which is a method that uh, blind people use to read and write in one day Um, I learned standard Arabic in a few weeks and French and the other languages I just picked as as I go just uh, by listening to things and with English, I really, I had a dream to uh, come to the U.S., go to Miami Beach, work for the U.N., um, and, and and study in the U.S. So those dreams were, uh, I guess, the strongest motivation that pushed me to do whatever I could to, to learn English. Um, and I was, uh, when, when I like, as I said, my parents died and my family abandoned me. I was homeless for six years. And those dreams were very uh, emotionally supported me and also psychologically. And my imagination went beyond what uh, I wouldn't say my eyes could see because I am blind, but went beyond what my uh, feet or hands uh, could feel or touch. 
Uh, my imagination took me to the headquarters of the UN, uh, Miami Beach, the warmth of it when I was sleeping in the snow and, and struggling and fighting and, um, you know, uh, was struggling financially because I didn't have much support. So I was all my, my brain and, and my, my uh, hope and, and, and my future was attached to uh, everything that required the English language. And when I, when we were in high school, we had uh, English as a subject and I made it my almost full time. I also met an American couple who helped me um, attend the American Language Center where uh, students or anyone who wanted to improve their English, people who, for example, have family in the US and wanted to immigrate or come and visit, or for example, if someone wanted to teach English. So people were going there to learn the language and I attended the, the first one in a city called Meknes in Morocco and I was welcomed and that just increased my love and, and, and um, uh, like my, my desire to learn language and when i when i um graduated high school i did a great in my um the 12th grade high school exam and i went to the university where i studied english and applied to the fulbright and of course since then like i've read a lot of literature and now i can write in other languages but i mainly write in english uh i think in english uh, I think it was this morning or yesterday when I thought, I asked myself and thought, hmm, I wonder if Americans think about English the way I do. Do they think that, wow, right now I'm speaking English or is it normal because they have never had to learn it? And of course, does this apply to anyone who is a, a monolingual or or do even people who are bilingual or multilingual like myself uh, think about languages this way? Um, and I love reading, listening to things um, and talking to people. And that's how I, I keep my languages alive and um, just keep learning. I hope that I can learn more languages um, in the future uh, because I think languages not only um, helped me to communicate with people in different countries, but also it helped me express my thoughts clearly and think deeply and um, make really um, good and, and um, successful strategies. And it's not like when thoughts are easier, but for me, thoughts require different approach and because they are in languages that are not my mother tongue, that helps me uh, process my thoughts um, in a very slow um, uh, process and think about my thoughts themselves, if that makes sense. It does. However, I have to say that English is my only language. I know very a little bit of sign but um, I've, I've worked with a special needs population for many, many years. And to be honest, um, not too many people I worked with actually did sign. They did more gestures that people figured out 
sort of a combination. So anyway, so I can't relate to that. I had, um, my sister had known many languages and uh, kind of started with Latin because that was the base of so many European languages. But anyway, I find that very fascinating. That is certainly not my skill. So um, you had also mentioned uh, some of the things that you've written, one of which is you have a regular newsletter. Yes. Tell us um, more about that. Yeah, I actually, uh, my newsletter is uh, part of my uh, media platform. Um, when I was homeless um, for six years, as I said before, and imagine, you know, being blind woman, uh, poor and homeless, like you, I didn't know who was going to hurt me and who was coming to save me. Um, my love for journalism was I always compare it to something deeper than desire. It was like a fire in my chest. And I questioned why journalists were not telling stories like mine. I carried a portable radio. I read a lot. My high school French teacher uh, was reading out loud to me, my friends and my classmates. So I was really, really um, involved in uh, journalism and storytelling. Um, and when I, when I, um, when I graduated from high school, I wanted to um, attend the uh, journalism school back in Morocco. That didn't work, and I promised myself to, no matter what, uh, work as a journalist and study journalism. When I came to the U.S., I of course did my MA in journalism learned a lot uh, from my classes, my classmates, as well as my uh, professors, some of whom are uh, very successful documentary filmmakers, writers, and journalists themselves. And I worked a little bit um, for an international magazine. And then I decided, well, I needed to have my own media platform. Uh, that was a dream. When I applied to the Fulbright Scholarship, I, I said in my letter that my dream one day is to have an international media platform where I can write and support others to do the same. And at the end of uh, 2022, my husband and I co-founded an international media platform. Um, the name of it is The Date Keepers. And uh, we do not uh, match journalists with the soulmates. We're not a dating site, <laughs> but we uh, are the datekeepers means Utini, which is um, the meaning of my last name. And it means someone who owns dates, the, the, the sweet fruits. And the, we named it that because my husband took my last name after we got married. And since then, we have published uh, material not only by us, but also by other writers. Uh, we promote people, organizations, and their work to our international audience uh, of more than 100,000. Uh, we provide editorial feedback. Uh, we are trying to um, not do what the traditional media outlets have done or publishing world in general, where, for example, they 
if the, even if they like someone's story, they wouldn't invest in it. For us, we invest in our writers. We give them editorial feedback, comments. We help them brainstorm um, if they want to write for us uh, to like find the topics they like and help them um, write profiles and op-eds and essays and give them a platform because writing does not only help a person professionally, but I personally strongly believe that it also helps emotionally. It's the mm. best, it's the best therapy out there. Mm. Um, if it weren't for writing, I wouldn't be successful. I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be positive. I wouldn't be the person I am today. Of course, I am grateful to uh, the organization, which is the Fulbright. That was the first organization that believed in me, my abilities, and gave me the opportunity to succeed. And that opportunity allowed me to improve my writing. And after I have you know, finished my memoir and um, have written and published in different platforms, I decided along with my husband to start our own platform where we give that opportunity to emerging writers because we know what it means not to have a platform, let alone have someone who is there to support you from A to Z, help you make your uh, piece the best it can be and give you the platform to publish it. As we all know, writers even purchase uh, rejections when they submit to a platform, they just submit hoping that they will get published. Of course, we don't publish everything, uh, but if we are interested and we think their story, even though if it's not well-written and it needs a lot of work, we invest in that and help them um, make it, again, the best it can be and help them publish it and give them a platform of an international audience. So uh, that's that's the day keepers. Uh, we have our collaborators, um, different, different people, uh, as well as some um, organizations who collaborate with us. Um, and as I said, we promote them on our uh, friends page. We promote them on the newsletter as well as on social media. So it's a platform, editorial feedback, as well as the ability to write about what they love. Because I don't believe that creativity is forced. I think we are creative only when we are given the space to be creative. Mm. Mm -hmm. So can you explain what an opt-ed is? Yeah, it's an opinion piece. Okay. Uh, basically, yeah. For example, if you want to write about um, the state of like immigrants or whatever topic, um, you write your opinion um, about it. A lot of uh, media platforms have it, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other small as well as big uh, media platforms. Join us next time for part two of our time with Ito Atini. So as our time comes to a close, remember to keep creating, keep sharing, and keep supporting each other. And remember to bloom where you're planted. Bye for now.